Welcome to another episode of the Lunch Break Hymn Sing, a podcast dedicated to the rediscovery of hymns, both ancient and modern. Well, here we are in the fourth week of the Advent season uh, and the fourth episode uh, in this series. Uh, we thank you for tuning in, uh, for all the encouragement that, um, that you've shown me um, along the way. Um, we're real thankful, real blessed um, that the uh, Lord has used this podcast um, to have His name proclaimed all over the world. To close us out today, um, we do have a sermon from a friend of mine and one of the pastors of Providence Presbyterian Church in Concord, Ben Ressler. And uh, we look at the familiar passage in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. And of course, this is an Advent hymn sing. Uh, so we have our good friend, uh, Nathan Heston, who often does the guitar work on this podcast. He will be closing this out uh, with Silent Night. This morning, we are going to look at something very, very quickly that should be studied for a long period of time. And that is the gospel according to Jesus. Um, it's interesting, we have been doing this for weeks now, and we're going to see exactly what Jesus had to say regarding, in a sense, his, his own self, his own message, his gospel. We're going to shrink all this down to two verses, and actually we read it in our call to worship. So you can either look back to the call to worship, or you can open up um, in your scriptures uh, to Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. I hope you understand that in order to really clearly understand the gospel according to Jesus, we have to see Jesus as an adult. He didn't say much in the manger as a baby. And so we're going to have to read back into that night and the things that happened when he came. Um, But we're going to look at the very beginning of Mark and what Jesus goes out saying, uh, which is ultimately the gospel. Look at these words. It says, Now after John was arrested... Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near. Be converted and believe in the gospel. I know most of you know this, but I think we have to make sure we're all on the same page first with what gospel is. In the Bible, the word is euangelion. That's a fun word. Say that to you once or twice. Write it down. Say it at home. Euangelion. It's a really kind of a neat word. And it literally means the content of good news. In a number of languages, the expression, the gospel, or the good news, would be rendered by phrases such as news that makes one happy, information that causes one joy, words that bring smiles, messages that causes the heart to be sweet. Typically in history, this started when there was a battle and we didn't have smartphones back in the day. And so it took somebody running from the battle to tell um, those at home the good news of victory. In this day and age, it might be as something as small as hearing day in and day out when I come home from work. Dad, can we go out to eat tonight? Dad, can we go out to eat tonight? And I say, no, not tonight. No, not tonight. No, not tonight. And then there happens to be that one night where I come home and I said, kids, put on your shoes. It's time to go out to eat. And oh my goodness, the smiles that, that not only are on their faces, but secretly on mine. And Jill's like, yes, I don't have to cook tonight. You know, it's just the whole, the whole family is on one accord. We're all agreeing this news is good. It's good news. 
So on some level, it can be life-shattering, life-changing news. It can be everyday good news. That's the gospel. That's euangelion. Of course, in the context that we're looking at, not just any good news would suffice. God's people were waiting for what seemed like an absolute eternity for God to fulfill his promises made to Abraham. There are whispers all throughout the Old Testament, and we have actually spent this morning looking at a lot of those whispers, a lot of those echoes, the gospel message in these hidden forms in a sense. For instance, in Isaiah 52, 7, which is probably one of sort of, if you were to encapsulate it all in the Old Testament, it says this, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. We're going to keep coming back to this verse over and over again regarding Jesus's gospel message. Ultimately, the gospel is the good news of the fulfillment of God's promise or his promises. The good news is the fulfillment of God's promises. So from this simple two verses, this passage, what is the good news? What is it that Jesus comes proclaiming? First, we have to understand that the, the, the thing that Jesus says first is he talks about this idea of the fullness of time and that it's here. The time is right. The time has come. The long-awaited hour has finally arrived. Kids, we wait patiently. And I say, kids, I hope you can relate to me at least. Most of you adults probably don't. You want your sleep. But Christmas Eve is still, for me, one of those nights that it is so hard to get sleep. I so cannot wait for the dawn. I can't wait for the sun to ascend, for morning to come, for Christmas, for us to wake up and just enjoy the day. Well, it was the same for the people of God, only their night lasted years. The hour came, finally, one night when the angels announced that today, today, a Savior has been born. The time is fulfilled. Second, what we see is that Mark is able to summarize the whole of Jesus' life and teaching, all of it, into a single concept. So we have to understand what it means when we hear the term, the kingdom of God is at hand. It is vitally important. Ultimately, the time is right. And then Jesus, in his gospel message, says the kingdom of God is near. That's his gospel message. First, what we see from this concept, the kingdom of God, is that there is ultimate reign. There is ultimate power in his reign. Psalm 103.19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. The basic meaning of the biblical term kingdom is the idea of rule, is the idea of reigning. Now that is in lots of contexts throughout the scripture, but boil it all down, and it, it, it is this idea of reigning. And of course, who reigns? Well, we know the king reigns. God is king. We see in Exodus 15, 18, it says, The Lord shall reign forever and ever. So the Lord God as king reigns over his kingdom. But it's not all just for not in the sense that God just wants to show off his power. This other idea of kingdom is not just an ultimate reign, but it is an ultimate purpose. God has a purpose for his reign. 
And for the world, his purpose is to save a people for himself and renew the world for those people. We see in Genesis 17, 7, all the way back with Abraham, he says, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And then if we jump to the other end of the Bible, in Revelation 21, 3, the realization of that promise is this. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people And God will be with them and be their God. His kingly rule implies a saving and a redeeming activity on his people's behalf. Matthew 1.21, we see it where it says, She, meaning Mary, will bear a son, Jesus, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, that which stands in the king's way of accomplishing what he wants to accomplish is the kingdom of darkness, is sin that's found in you and I. He must defeat the kingdom of darkness in order to free his people. The second part of this statement, the kingdom of God, well, he adds a good news to what this kingdom is. Not only is it rule, not only is it reign, not only is it this idea that the king and the kingdom have purpose, But he states that it is near. And this is not necessarily meaning anymore a time time frame so much as it means a spatial relation. And so in that, what we have is we have a few things that I want to point out. First, the king is born. His lineage is the son of David, the son of God. Matthew and Luke both witness to his lineage. If you want to, you can read the first chapters of both those books. And you you can show the proof the son of David. In fact, Matthew 1.20 goes a step farther and puts these two together in this prophecy, and it says, Joseph, son of David. So there it infers that Jesus will also be a son of David. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Jesus is both the son of David, the son of man, and the son of the eternal God, the King of kings, Lord of lords. Second, though his name by Mary, his given name was Jesus, he was called by another name, and you know this name well. We see in Matthew 1.23, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The king has come. You understand, right, the logic is, is that with the arrival of the king, so is the kingdom. The kingdom is on earth because the king is present. Yes, in this moment of time, today a savior will be born to you. It is a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes that's lying in a manger that was announced by angels to shepherds of all people that they might go see in that smelly stable around all those animals, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But with the arrival of the king comes the kingdom. God's kingdom is now literally on earth. With the king. You see, in and through Jesus, God the King has come in a way, a new way, into the world to establish his saving rule. The good news is not that the king comes with a sword, 
What we truly deserved is for Jesus to come with a sword announcing judgment and, and truly striking down everyone that breathes because of our sin. And yet what he came, the good news is, is that he came with a saving rule. Of course, the king, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, is glorified in his saving rule in three amazing ways. First, it's in the hearts of his people and in their relationship by triumphing over sin, Satan, and death. The kingdom of God would be most gloriously revealed in a crucified and risen king. This is something that for the Old Testament saints, for the prophets even themselves, for the disciples as they walked with, with Jesus, they had no concept. They really truly didn't have a clue. Their king would die ultimately to free them from their sins. Second, we see then that by the exercise of Jesus Christ's reign, he is gathering a people for himself in congregations that live as citizens of a new allegiance to the king and to the kingdom that's not of this world. Too often you and I get confused, the kingdom of God, with the kingdom that we live in. And then third, Christ comes a second time and completes the reign by establishing a new heavens and a new earth and reigning over his people forever as their God. You see, as, Mar as for Mark, the gospel was a very simplistic thing. It was very simple. It simply referred to the fulfillment of God's reign and his salvation. The fulfillment of God's reign and God's salvation in the fullness of time. You and I saw how much we love to study the salvation of God, but we cannot separate the salvation of the king from the reign of the king. It is all his. He owns it all. And yet what the king does is he meekly, humbly, with love comes and he adds to the gospel a response. If you look at that passage one more time, notice that what we have is a proclamation of the gospel, a response of the gospel at the end, and in the middle is what the gospel is. So at the end of this, it, to hear the gospel clearly, Jesus tells you and I, as he walked the earth and told everybody that he met eye to eye, he said, there is a proper response to the message I have for you. You are not allowed to take this message and interpret it however you want. This is not up, this is not up for debate. Here is the message. The kingdom of God has come because I am here. It is near. And ultimately, it will be established through my death, through my burial, and through my resurrection. And they learn that. The response this morning, like it was that day, is twofold. And these things work together. It is a repenting and a believing. Repent is this idea of changing one's mind or direction. And I want to go even farther than that, because a lot of times you and I think that that's easy, to change our minds about something. What this word really truly is saying here, what God is asking through Jesus, what Jesus is saying himself as God, is be converted. Conversion's a tough one. Because what converted means is to be transformed from the inside out so that we are like that C.S. Lewis quote that Tara read. 
That as the King of Kings comes into our life through the Holy Spirit, what he is actually doing is not just taking care of those things that we know he should take care of, but he is in a sense gutting the entire house and building a whole new thing, something that you would never have expected. Be converted this morning through the gospel. The second thing is to believe. This is more than a knowing. It's more than an assent. Satan and his demons know who Jesus Christ is. Satan and his demons in James, it says very clearly that they know the gospel. They may know this story even in their minds better than you and I. But what they don't get is that they do not trust. They have not put their faith and their belief in the one and true King of Kings and Lord of Lords who has died to destroy, ultimately destroy sin and death on our behalf. This gospel we learn again from these two verses is not man's. It belongs to God himself. The gospel is God's. And so he is the one that works graciously, mercifully, meekly, salvation in each of us. My question this morning needs to be after these verses and after all of the songs that we have sung and after all of the scriptures that we have read is are you trusting in Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords this morning as your Savior and as your King? Jesus Christ reigns And he has purchased salvation for his church through his death and resurrection. I want you to know clearly that I believe that he rules this morning. He rules through the Holy Spirit in our hearts, you and I. The kingdom does not look exactly like what the disciples thought it would look like. You see, in its present form, the kingdom is not really a visible entity. And so I want to leave you with a quote from R.C. Sproul, hopefully as an encouragement. He says this, let us bring glory to our king by making the invisible kingdom visible. We do that by living in such a way that we bear witness to the reality of the saving rule. Again, those two things have to go together. The saving rule of Christ in our jobs, in our families, in our schools, in our checkbooks, and every other facet of life. Because God in Christ is king over every one of these spheres of life. The only way the kingdom of God is going to be manifest in this world before Christ comes again is if you and I manifest it by the way we live as citizens of heaven and subjects to the king. So let us be found faithful through the power of his spirit this morning to live as citizens of his kingdom while here on this earth, while we wait for the blessed hope of the glorious return of our king. May the joy of the Lord be our strength. May our hope be found in his glorious appearing when he will consummate his kingdom and the new heavens and the new earth for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel.
it truly is good news to our hearts for those who want to receive and trust in you. Father, I pray that you would just be at work in this room through your Holy Spirit and that you would convict hearts, that you would encourage hearts, that you would draw, draw us into a saving relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus Christ, yes, came as a baby that night in the fullness of time. And yet as king, he humbly gave up, at least for a moment, his kingship so that he could die. And now, as he is exalted and seated at the right hand of the Father, he is now savior and ruler. Lord God, be glorified in all that he has accomplished. Be glorified in the fact that he reigns through the church presently. Be glorified in the fact that a day will come just like a day did come when he will come again and he will make all things right. May you be glorified. Father, I ask that not one person would leave here this morning without being able to claim Jesus Christ as their Savior and their King. May it be for their joy and for your glory. We pray these things in his name.
We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Lunch Break Hymn Sing. We look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, enjoy your lunch break.